0: thank you for that Josiah okay let's be honest how many of you saw that spider coming down on my head Did anybody see that I felt something in my hair when I was up here earlier I wasn't sure quite what it was sat down it was a spider out, he is no longer with us he has departed into <laughs> another world but 15 years ago there was a spider <laughs> up there, did that very same thing, would come down, and people would be watching the spider go up and down. You remember that spider? Some of you might, may remember that spider. I, I wonder if it's either the same one or, the, or child, grandchild, I don't know how long spiders live, but we have just ended that lineage right now. So, so that's taken care of. Uh, I am good spirits, I'm here by myself, I'm bashing it today because I have a new grandbaby, hallelujah, so uh, Tessa uh, had her baby on Friday, so Leslie is up there uh, helping out, of course, with the new grandbaby. And uh, we're very excited about that. Number 11 for us. Uh, girls are ahead uh, eight to three right now in, in the family. So uh, guys need to do some more work to try to, try to catch up. But uh, anyway, so uh, that's why she's not here. And uh, thank the Lord, uh, mom and baby are healthy. And Dustin uh, said, this is pretty easy. <laughs> So Who knows? We may have more from that family coming, coming down the road. We'll, we'll see. I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Romans. We are continuing our study in this chapter, Romans chapter 8. And um, we, we, we've seen that this chapter summarizes many of the great blessings that we have in Christ, many of the things that we have as believers to be thankful for this month of thanksgiving uh, here are some great some wonderful truths that we can give thanks to god for they are evidences of the fact that we live as believers under the smile of god that we live under his favor as we who are are in christ jesus Uh, we saw in the first seven verses the fact that we are free from condemnation that we stand righteous before a, a holy god we we are legally righteous before God and that there is no sin there is nothing we can do that will change that situation that we have been declared innocent and righteous before a holy God we saw in verses 9 through 17 that because of that we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit which makes us new creatures in Christ gives us victory over sin and temptation And then delivers us from the spirit of bondage, again to fear, to the spirit of adoption as children of God. And we ended in verse 17 last week, which talks about how that if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And then he adds this little phrase, if indeed we suffer with him, That we may also be glorified together. To be an heir of a large fortune is to considered by many to be one of life's greatest joys. But to be an heir of God, a joint heir of Jesus Christ, is beyond comprehension. And Paul uses the term "heir" here in the way it should be used; it would be used under Roman law. A, A child or a slave could be adopted. And thus he became a child of the family. As a child of the family, he was then legally able to receive the full inheritance along with the other children, just as if he was a natural child. We are today going through, those who who study these things tell us that we are living in the greatest wealth transfer in history. Now, I said that a few weeks ago. If you're not a part of that, that's kind of sad. You know, it's like, oh doesn't affect me, but there is a tremendous amount of wealth that is being transferred today, mostly through estates, through people who have purchased homes and then have passed it on to their children and grandchildren, but there is nothing like being an heir of God. There is nothing like being a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Uh, James wrote this, James said in James chapter 2 verse 5, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to them who love him. And what we see in Romans chapter 8 is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 when he says God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins made us alive together with christ for by grace uh, you are saved you've been saved and raised us up together that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in christ jesus the riches of his kindness are seen first of all we see in this chapter in his declaration that there's no condemnation and secondly through the gift of the indwelling holy spirit who lives within us and now in verses 18 through 25 he's going to talk about the the eternal hope that we as believers have in jesus christ we have a hope that is steadfast and that is sure and as an heir of god we have an eternal hope that last sentence of verse 17 where he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We live in a world where we are surrounded by suffering. We live in a sin-cursed world where we endure the results of that suffering, and we encounter difficulties in this life because we live in a fallen world. But as the heir of God, as the joint heir with Jesus Christ, we have an eternal hope. And I want this morning to look at five truths about this eternal hope, very important truths that we need to grasp, that is important for us to understand, if we really want to understand what we have in Jesus Christ. The first thing we find is that, that our eternal hope, is really incomparable to the sufferings of this present world. Read with me in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that is going to be ours in Christ. Now, this is not to make light of our troubles in this world. Uh, But the present sufferings we face in this world, in comparison with our eternal glory, are light indeed. The glory that shall be revealed in us. Some translations say the glory that shall be revealed to us. is probably best understood as the idea that the glory that will be manifested or be made available to us. That will become our possession someday the sufferings of this present time this present world can't even be compared cannot even be weighed against the glory that's going to be manifested to us made available to us that will be our possession someday in eternity Paul said there in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verses 17 and 18 for our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, he uses that phrase, our light affliction. And this is not to, again make light of the sufferings we go through in this world the sufferings we face in this world are very real Uh, illnesses death losing our job other issues that you may be facing at home in your family those are real trials and that's and this is not to discount those or to say all oh, those are not you shouldn't worry about those no those are serious things but from from God's perspective from an eternal perspective if we live without an eternal perspective it's just a moment it's just a moment we're passing through. you know it, it, Leslie's doing much better in her walking thank you for praying for her she's still got a long way to go but I, I I remember, and I think about this. The day she broke her ankle, it was a beautiful day, and I remember I, I just I just consciously remember that morning. Uh, we were by the ocean; it was beautiful. Just thinking, oh, the Lord is so good. We have so much to be thankful for. Oh, there's just you know, it was such a beautiful day, and God's given me so much. And I, just, I I I consciously remember those things. Within an hour, we were taking her to the emergency room, and spent the rest of the day. Uh, in the emergency room. That accident does not change the truth that I was feeling before the accident took place. God still is a great God and a merciful God, and he has blessed us abundantly. None of that changes because of her breaking her ankle, although that definitely preoccupied us (laughs) for quite a while after that. In view of eternity, the issues that we face, and sometimes God uses those issues even to draw us to Christ, and someday we'll, we'll sit back and we'll look at what we have encountered on earth, and we'll praise God for the things that he allowed to come into our life. Sometimes the issues that happen, the sufferings, are because of our testimony, because of our, 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 they are a part of our discipleship. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through thir- and 13 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you uh, as though some strange thing happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy give thanks to God he says even when these things come and sometimes it comes because of our following of, of Christ the cost of our discipleship you know it's interesting men and women through the years through the ages have forsaken all to follow Jesus Christ Jesus told the story of the rich fool who torn down his barn to build bigger and God said to him thou fool this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided so as he who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God you know the cost of serving Jesus will vary an interesting passage, I I'm not, didn't put the verse up here because it's, it's so long you'd have to be squinting to, to read it, but uh, Hebrews chapter 11 describes the heroes of the faith. And it says, talks about those who stopped the mouths of lions, who quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. There's some great stories in Hebrews 11 of great heroes of the faith. and Man, it's a tremendous thing God did with some of them. Daniel in the lion's den, all these different things. But then he goes on to say about others. Others were tortured. Others had a trail of mocking and scourging. Yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, of whom the world was not worthy, tormented. But then he adds, but they received something better. You see, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in light of our eternal glory our sufferings are incomparable really the question is that in light of our eternal glory are you willing to count the cost to serve jesus christ or do the sufferings of this present world cause you to reject and turn away from following jesus christ so the first truth is that these, this glory is incomparable. This hope is incomparable to the sufferings we endure. The second truth is this. Our eternal hope is something that is eagerly anticipated by, by us, by the believer. Verse 19. Look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The earnest Expectation describes here a person who is leaning forward out of intense interest and desire. In other words, as believers, we should be eagerly anticipating that eternal hope. It's it's a theme that comes up all throughout the New Testament. Galatians 5, he says, for through the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Philippians 3, verse 20. You know this verse? Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We look forward to that, he says. Hebrews nine, twenty-eight. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And then in 2 Timothy 4.8, I love this passage because it was written in the Maritime Prison where Paul was awaiting his execution. And he said, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, me only, but also to all those who loved his appearing. That verse is especially important to me, I, I think because, Paul wrote that in Rome in what was called the Maritime Prison, which was basically a dungeon, a cell, a hole in the ground that sat right across from the Roman Senate, all, all the great uh, places of power. And this last year I had a chance to visit there on a trip to Israel. We stopped in Rome. And we were at, we didn't actually get to see the Maritime Prison because they were remodeling it. Imagine that. Uh, doesn't make sense i know I, I hopefully they were remodeling the outside not the actual prison but but so you could see what it was like but we, so i actually didn't get seat down there but we stood very close to where it was and we read these words and paul talks about how i finished my course i've run the race and and then he talks about how the, the lord's going to give me this crown and, and paul was saying i've won we've won and and, and when paul would have said that in his, in his day His Roman captors would have looked at him and laughed. But today, you stand at the maritime prison where Paul wrote these words, and if you turn around and look back towards the ruins of the Roman Forum, which was the the main center of life in Rome at that day, it's just that they're ruins. They've been uncovered, unburied because Rome lost. That Roman government is not there. Paul is enjoying his relationship with Christ forever. He won. And that is true of every believer. And we understand that we should eagerly anticipate our eternal reward. But I have to ask the question, do you anticipate, do you long for Christ's appearing? Now, I have to be honest. I admit there are times I do more than others. There are usually times when I'm facing a difficulty, and you're probably the same thing. You know, when I was a student in college, or you know, even high school, facing a test that I wasn't prepared for, praying, "Lord, come quickly." You know? <laughs> or you're facing, you're going through a trial, and uh, you just, uh, I just wish the Lord would come. When everything's going great, life's smooth, life is wonderful, you, you don't tend to anticipate. The lord's coming uh, we should be what's going on over in israel what's going on in the world today we should be very eagerly anticipating the lord's coming so he says that we eagerly wait for that and then he says notice the last phrase of verse 19 for we, we eagerly wait for the revealing of the sons of god now what's that about eagerly awaiting for the revealing of the sons of god Well, Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says this, that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When he appears, we will be with him in glory. On this earth, we do not always know who truly is his and who is not his. There's a lot of people who profess to know Christ who really do not know Christ. There are a lot of people who think they know Christ. They're really kind of uncertain. They really do know Christ, but they don't have a lot of assurance, a lot of confidence. But there will come a day when Christ is revealed, when he will come, and creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, when he comes and we are there with him, I don't know if we will say it this way, but we'll look at each other and we will say, we made it. We're here. I don't think we'll say we made it. I think we will be saying, "Praise God!" We'll be giving praise and glory to God, and we will have, in now and in, in 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 reality, in physical or whatever that physical being will be like in eternity, our resurrection body. We will know that we are with Him for all of eternity. When He appears, we will be with Him in glory. So our eternal hope is, first of all, something that really cannot compare to the sufferings that we endure. Secondly, it is that which we eagerly anticipate. And thirdly, our eternal hope is really that final deliverance from bondage. Notice verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility or vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Paul begins by referring to all of creation. He expands his thoughts to consider all of creation, the entire universe. He says the creation was subjected to futility or vanity. The word here refers to the inability to achieve one's intended purpose. Because of sin, God cursed the earth. And now, because of man's fall, the intended purpose of the earth as a place of peace and joy for man has been upended. It was not done willingly, he says. It's not something God wanted to do, but it is a a result of sin and the result of the curse of God upon the earth. Because of him, who subjected it in hope he says now some think the hymn here refers to Adam and some think it maybe refers to Satan uh, but I don't know about your Bible in my Bible the hymn here is capitalized because it was referring to God it is it is God who subjected the world uh, to futility but he did so in hope in other words God, because of sin, condemned the earth. But he did not leave it without hope. There is hope even for creation itself. So we know the world in the scripture was once a perfect environment. There was no death, there was no pain, there was no thorns. But when Adam sinned, a part of the result of his fall was the consequences upon the earth, even the ground itself. Death entered into the world man now had to work by the sweat of his brow and, and and we live in a world that is described here as groaning in travail awaiting its redemption like a woman in childbirth waiting to give birth the news we we hear about every day gives us reports on disasters such as tornadoes hurricanes earthquakes as well as just the evil from man's own depravity But. There will come a day when all of creation is set free. That's what he's saying here. There will come a day when creation is set free from sin's curse. And, and just as man's sin brought corruption on the earth, his redemption will bring a restoration of the earth and a freedom from sin's corruption. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is, is John 21, and the end, actually the whole end of, of Revelation, where... While exiled on, the, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, John saw a revelation of a new heaven and a new earth. And go through and read that, the beauty of that new heaven and the new earth as it is restored in a, in a post-sin world. So he says here in verse uh, 21 that, uh, or verse 20, that he had subjected it in hope. And then verse 21, because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In other words, creation will enjoy the freedom from sin's domain just as God's children enjoy the glory of God's freedom or liberty from sin. John described it this way in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Beloved, we are now the children of God. Oh, here we go. I guess i missed that one but anyway it says beloved we are now the children of god and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is scripture also talks about how in first corinthians 15 paul talks about how behold i i show you a mystery we will not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Then he goes on to say that this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal mortality must, be, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So our eternal hope, our eternal hope is that which is, is something we, we long for and is the final uh, the final f- deliverance. And then the fourth truth you have here is that our eternal hope is foreshadowed by the Holy Spirit who is in us. Notice verses 22 and 23. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans, and labors with birth pains together until now not only that but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body our eternal hope is foreshadowed by the holy spirit who is in us we talked about this gift of the holy spirit last week But he makes a point here, and he says that the whole creation groans as a woman in in the travail of childbirth, awaiting this deliverance. You know, naturalist John Muir, who should be familiar with here in in California, said this. He says, Nature is unfallen and undepraved. And he said, Only man is the blighting touch. Well, that's the doctrine of extreme environmentalism, okay? Paul states that nature itself is fallen and is affected by the curse of sin. But it's interesting that Paul distinguishes then here the believer from the rest of creation because he says that even we ourselves, not only that, that is, not only creation has these birth pangs, but we also, believers who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body. So we as believers who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for that redemption. So the first fruits of the spirit is the down payment. We who have the spirit indwelling us are especially sensitive to sin. That's why we as believers are so grieved when we see the world's carelessness and, and over sin and their hatred of Christ. Why do, why do you care? You care because the Holy Spirit who is in you is grieved. But we wait and eagerly wait for the completion of our adoption. We talked about our adoption last week. We, we've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But we've not received the completion of that adoption yet. Someday that adoption is going to be complete and we will receive our redeemed body and and it's our body that's the last to be fully redeemed. But we will receive that body and we will then be finally with Him for eternity. And we have the foretaste of that through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we have seen that we have an eternal hope that is not compared to the sufferings of the world, we have an eternal hope that's high, eagerly anticipated. We have a hope that's our final deliverance it's also foreshadowed by the holy spirit who dwells us but finally we have an eternal hope that really is our salvation we have a hope that is our salvation notice what he says in verse 24 and verse 25 for we are saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. The hope that he's talking about here is not some wishful thinking. But it is a confidence, it's a trust in the integrity of God and his word. People use the word hope. I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope this happens to me. We're not talking about that hope, that kind of hope. That's a hope that's based on Confidence in man or based in, in, on something in this life which is unsure and unsteady. It may be true. It may not be true. But we should hope, our hope, our confidence is in Christ. And he says hope that is seen is not hope. It's faith. So if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with Perseverance. The scripture goes to great length to remind us that our hope that we have our faith that we have in christ is based on a solid rock on solid truth in hebrews chapter 6 verses 17-19 it says thus god determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise that's us the immutability of his counsel the fact that his counsel does not change He confirmed it by an oath, by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. It says God has confirmed that hope because he knows that we have fled for refuge in that hope. We've tried to lay hold of that hope in this world. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast in which enters the presence behind the veil. Peter said in 1 Peter 3:17, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We live much of our lives based on hope. And sometimes it's a hope that is shattered because it's a false hope based on human promises. Maybe good intentions, but not infallible our eternal hope is based upon the firm foundation of god's word we live by the power by the witness of the spirit of god we are confident that someday this hope will be revealed it will be it will become reality so i ask you this morning if this hope is eternal uh, this hope is, is that which we, we, we base our lives on. Do you have that eternal hope? As an heir of Christ, as an heir of God, as a joint heir of Jesus Christ, we have an eternal hope. A hope that makes the suffering of this life incomparable with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. A hope that we ought to eagerly Anticipate. It's a hope that is our ultimate deliverance from bondage. It's a hope that's foreshadowed by the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and it's an eternal hope, which is our salvation. Because we 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 grasp on this hope by faith. We believe. We put our trust in Christ. So the question I leave you with simply is this: Is do you have that hope? I can't think of greater things to be thankful for than the fact that we're not under condemnation in Christ Jesus. We've been declared legally righteous before God. That we have the Spirit of God who's made us new creatures and, and given us the Spirit of adoption and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And that we have an eternal hope an eternal hope that makes the sufferings of this world seem small by comparison. Because our hope, our trust is in the Lord. Now, if you're here without Christ this morning, you don't have that hope. Life is just a gamble with you. Life is just, I, you know, I mean, I hear people say, I hope so. Do you know Christ you saved? Do you know you're going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. But, but it's not, that's, not, that's not very confident. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about a sure foundation, a hope that is rooted and grounded in the foundation of God's word. It is, it is, it is a confidence that we have not in ourselves necessarily, but but in, but in God, and in His word. You know, it's interesting. We uh, at our church in in uh, Arizona, we have a Christian school, and our pastor likes to do elementary chapels, and he, he does a question-and-answer thing with, with these kids. And you get some of the best questions from some of these young kids. I think it was a fourth or fifth grader asked this question one time in, in chapel. What if God changes his mind? What what if we, what if we you know, do all this, and, 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 and maybe we're in heaven, and, and then someday God says, oh, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to change the plan now. We're going to do something different. Or sin's going to come in and destroy that heaven. And, and what if this happens? And, and it was actually an honest question, a good question. A lot of adults think that same question. The truth is, our hope is based on the integrity of God and the integrity of his, of his word, who, who will not change, who will not lie. What God has said will take place, will happen for all of eternity. There is no if, there are no buts, there are no change of plans along the line. It's based on the eternal promises of an all-sufficient, immutable, unchangeable God who is completely sovereign, completely powerful, and who lives for all eternity. That is our hope. It's based in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And what he has promised to do so i ask you do you have that hope have you trusted christ as your savior do you know with confidence that you are in christ if so do you have this eternal hope